We are continuing our look in the book of Exodus, and today we turn to Exodus chapter 33. Uh, last week we were just the, the chapter before that, and that was just thinking about uh, the episode with the golden calf when the, the people had uh, so far moved away from, from God, even though Moses was up at the most you might say the most significant point, getting the, the Ten Commandments from God and the, the people had, uh, well, you would say given up on, on God and moved the, the other way. And this, in many ways, is the reaction to all of that. So we're going to read Exodus chapter 33, and let's hear God's word. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people, the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. And when the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp at some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. 
And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And may the Lord add his blessing upon his truth. Let's pause just as we pray. Lord, as we come to your truth, we pray that you might truly speak to us today and that our knowledge of you would become ever more real because by your spirit, you you have taken these words, this truth, and you have laid it upon our hearts. Lord, as we are open before you, and as we come with a desire to hear from you afresh, so, Lord, we pray that we might learn from you. So take these words and speak to us, we pray. Amen. Just as we come to this passage this morning, I'm trying to maybe get a theme that can Uh, enable us to enter into this passage. I'm going to say something in the course of what I'm doing, which is very different from perhaps what uh, the direction I intended to take with this passage. And uh, the the theme maybe in some ways can be summarized by this little meme that I've found. Uh, And to try and summarize the the sense of uh, the disappointment that Moses surely must have felt uh, in these moments. Um, You know, we've all been disappointed at times. It might be something that you've bought which didn't live up to the expectation. It may be, I don't know, a burger at a football or rugby match, and you can't believe how much you actually paid for that thing and that there was actually nothing inside it. Um, But disappointment can be a bit of a fact of life whenever I think of disappointment. I have one particular, well... To be honest, I have more than one particular thing, but there, there is another one that came in uh, reasonably recently into our experience, and I, it was a, a cake that we were trying to or get to celebrate some point. I can't remember if it was simply a celebration or a birthday or whatever it was, but we wanted to get a fondant mini mouse uh, to go on the top of that cake. We went into, I'll not give the name of the shop in Lisburn, but it was one of the, the, the places in Lisburn, and they promised us a fondant mini mouse, but it looked more like a, a pink Shrek. Um, <laughs> So this uh, mad grinning uh, sort of, and it's not that one, it was a lot worse than the, than the, one, the one that's up there. Uh, but disappointment is something that is everywhere. We, we, you know, we feel that so often. That's where Moses, I think, is uh, to a large extent in this passage. What I was trying to say a few moments ago is that while Moses was up in that nearer presence of God, getting the Ten Commandments, and yet down below, as we were hearing last week, the, the people then descended into chaos, and they, they started worshipping a, a calf idol. 
and uh, giving up on God in that sense. And Moses comes down and he's angry and he drops and he smashes the, the Ten Commandments, those two large tablets that God had written on with, with his very own finger. And Moses must have thought in that moment, what's the point of carrying on with these people? Uh, if you go back to chapter 32, read verse 19, you, you can have a sense of I mean, the intensity of that in, in verse 19, chapter 32, when Moses approached the, the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And if that's the disappointment that Moses has experienced. And with the previous chapter and then the chapter that we have read today moves on with, with this sense and that Moses surely must have thought, what is the point of carrying on? And yet, what's clear in this passage is that he does decide to move on. He does decide to keep on leading these people who disappointed him so much. So I'm thinking to myself, there must be something that happened in this passage, something that he learned or something that enabled him to respond positively that changed his outlook. And I'm wondering then if we are able to maybe pick up something with that, if we can react in the same sort of manner. So I'm going to, as well as going through the passage with the normal points, as it were, as I go through this, I'm going to bring out a couple of what I might call reality checks. And those couple of reality checks enable us to ask questions of ourselves. And if we answer them positively as the way in which I think Moses would have answered those reality checks, the outlook changes and enables us to live with the disappointments that we face in life and react positively to that. And so really in looking at the, what's happening in chapter 33 is that God has told the people of Israel that they're still going to go to the promised land. Uh, that's how chapter 33 opens up. But the, the, the devastating aspect of this is that while they get to go into the promised land, God is also saying, I'm not going to go with you. That's very clear. And that's, that's total. That's devastating. And at the same time, as I was mentioning, despite that huge shock, Moses still says, I'm going to go with these people. So there must be something that happened uh, in, in Moses' outlook. So as we think about our own disappointments, because we do face disappointments, people disappoint us. You have some of the people here, some of you here, have experienced huge degrees of, of loss Perhaps some of you are having to, to navigate something different, something that's out of your comfort zone. And when we go through those difficult periods, when we go through and experience the, the immensity of that disappointment and indeed that loss, those hurdles that we encounter in life, one of the ways that we may deal with that is that we simply say, look, enough's enough. I've had enough. I'm, I'm life-weary. 
And I'm, I'm just fed up with all of this, and I don't want to do any more. And, and you don't need to be experiencing a midlife crisis uh, to be doing that. It's something that we all can experience, no matter whether we're the youngest person or whether we're the oldest person here, whatever that transition or change, we may feel weary. So I don't know if there's anyone, maybe you're nodding at me now, yeah, I feel exactly that way, that is where I am. So if there's something in this passage that's going to enable us to respond positively, hopefully uh, those couple of questions will come up. But let's look at the passage and see how the passage begins to break up for us uh, to help us understand what this passage is about. And as I was mentioning, maybe the first and the obvious thing that happens in this passage is is the sense of the absence of the, of the presence of, of, of God. So even though chapter 33 opens up positively enough, because you, you look at verse 30, or verse 1 of chapter 33, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they are getting to go to the promised land. That's Good, that's positive in spite of of everything. But as I was mentioning, it's not so clear cut. Because look at verse 3. God continues to say, Go up to to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you along the way. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, I was mentioning in the chapter dealing with the, the tabernacle. And if we were learning anything in that chapter, what the lesson was is that God wanted to be present with the people so that he was literally dwelling with the people. He was in their midst. And here we are, just a couple of chapters later, and before the tabernacle has even been built, because all they have is, as it were, the architect's sketches of what the tabernacle will look like. So before it's even built, God has now said, enough, I'm not going to be with you. I don't want to be with you. I'm not going to dwell with you. I'm not going to go with you. You're going to get the promised land, but I am not going there with you. Now, let's think about the deal. Remember that? TV program years ago, Noel Edmonds, Deal or No Deal. Have that in your mind just now, waiting for the phone call, saying what sort of deal we're going to get. But the deal that was offered to the people of Israel was this. You can get the promised land. You can get the milk and the honey. You can get this beautiful thing, this beautiful place. But if you're going to take it, I'm not going there with you. So you can have it, But the other aspect of that is that I am not going with you. So that's the deal that they're offered. And the question then is, would they take that deal? And I'm asking that because in some ways, that is the deal that we take at times. Because what we are more interested in is what the blessings of God are, rather than actually being interested in the one who can bless us. So we're more interested in the gifts God can give us, rather than being interested in the actual giver. So we want to be forgiven. We want a good job. We want to have a nice life. We want to have good things 
in life. And so we are thankful for what God can give us. And we want these things, but we want these things more than we actually want God himself. And so we are tempted to want the promised land and be content that we don't actually have the presence of God with us. Because actually, the presence of God can be threatening and it can be uncomfortable. I mean, the way that God describes it here in verse 3, I can't go with you because I might get rid of you along the way because the presence of God is threatening. It's challenging. And at times, even in our lives, we may feel that God prompts us and God speaks to us and God challenges us about certain things and we're listening to him. And then just having the presence of God with us is deeply uncomfortable as God may push us from our comfort zone. And and it's especially so when we are comfortable and we're content with things as they are, and we don't want to listen to whatever it is that God is saying. And even when we come to present the gospel message, we can express it in terms of this deal as well. We can say, all you need to do to become a Christian is to say a prayer. Say these words, and you'll be forgiven, and, and, you'll, and you'll get to heaven. And it's, of course, it is wonderful to have that assurance because we know that when we die that we will see not only Jesus face to face but we will see our loved ones who have gone before us even those people at times that we might desperately miss what we might long to see and there is a, a joy and a wonder and a certainty of having the forgiveness of sins and having the joy of knowing that we will go to heaven but the thing is and what we must never forget is that the best thing about being a Christian isn't simply having things from God even forgiveness of sins and even heaven itself but it's actually having God himself not what the psalmist expresses in Psalm 77 where he says actually who have I in heaven but you because you are the most important it's you and you alone because we are in a relationship with God and it's having God and it's having the presence of God is the most important thing which is why then for the people of Israel they knew that it is no way to live to have the gifts from the giver without actually having the giver and so down in verse 4 you get a sense of that when the people heard these distressing words they began to mourn. And then the next number of verses detail a little bit of their repentance, which allows me to move on in this passage to think maybe in terms of a second break in this story. It's more so talking now about the presence of God restored. Now, this is really verses 13 through to 15. I want you to look at those verses quite closely because as we, we read them, there may be a bit of a, a strange contradiction that becomes apparent when, when you read it. Because when you read verse 13, Moses is talking to God and Moses says, you know, God, if you are pleased with me, tell me more about yourself. And then when you read verse 14, God replies, my presence will go with you. I will give you rest. So God is saying, I will go with you. But look into verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. And it almost sounds as if 
Moses hasn't been listening to what God said in verse 14 because in verse 14, God has just said, I will go with you. And then in verse 15, Moses says, if you're not going to go with me, I'm going nowhere. But the problem of our understanding with that is because we don't know the difference between you and yous. You know that Ulster expression? Because um, verse 14, what God says is that Moses, I will go with you, singular. In other words, Moses, I'm going with you, but I am not going with these people. It's you and it's you alone. Which then makes Moses respond, God, if you are not going with us, the usins, if you're not going with all of us, then don't send us from here. There is no point going at all. And that's where we need to listen up this morning. Because this thought, there is no point in doing anything, going anywhere, either as individuals or as a people, if God is not going with us. And we need to listen to that. We need to think. Now, there's a joy in knowing God individually. And then beyond that, we have a calling from God to live out how we know God. And God is asking us to obey. And God is asking us to do certain things as an expression of our commitment to him. Now, you could be 60, you could be 16, you could be 80, you could be 18. And God is speaking to you about how he wants you to demonstrate your faith. That could be something, even just being able to sit down beside someone, sharing, talking to them, sharing about faith, sharing your life, being with them. It could be giving coffee. It could be teaching the Bible. It could be doing something as a group. It could be doing something in this church. But there is something that God is actually calling upon you to do. But the key when thinking about the context of this passage is if God is not with you, in whatever it is you are wanting to do, there is no point going and doing that. And yet our temptation is to go ahead and rely on ourselves and never worry about thinking, is God with me or is he not? Because too often we rely on our own strength rather than relying on God. I can do it. And in other words, so often we just wing it. We know we've got certain skills. We know there are certain things that I can do myself. And I can just get, be tempted to go on and do those things. And yet what we need to learn, as Moses learned here, there is no point in going out and doing anything if God is not there with us. And remember I was mentioning those little reality checks that I think I could perhaps imagine that Moses asked himself, is there any point in going on with these people? Something in his mindset that shifted, that enabled him actually to carry on in spite of his disappointments. And perhaps one of those reality checks is that question there. Will you be desperate enough for God so that you know you need God to do this? Or will you be content just to carry on in your own strength? Because the prize is always God himself 
And if you're doing anything without God and not relying on God, you are wasting your time. And so as we move a little bit further and as this passage progresses, maybe to think about, not only have we been thinking about the presence of God removed, the presence of God restored, but now I'm thinking about the presence of God experienced. Verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Again, glory is one of those hard words to really get a grasp on in the Bible. Literally, it means heaviness. So what Moses is asking for here is to experience the full weight of God. And let's remember who this is that's asking this. This is Moses. And what has Moses been doing as we have been reading about him? Moses is the one who stood at the burning bush. Remember the burning bush? And he heard this voice from the, from the middle of the midst of the bush. And it says, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. This is the same guy who was the only one who was allowed to go up the mountain. Everybody else was told, stand back. Don't come near the mountain. If you get too close, you will die. So even that mountain where there was lightning flashing and there was smoke on the top of, of the mountain and the ground was shuddering and trembling, Moses was the one who actually went up there. He was the one who received the Ten Commandments, which we read were inscribed by the very finger of God. So Moses is the one, the one who has been meeting God in the tent, Moses is the one who actually says, now show me your glory. And then this passage goes on to say how that might happen in a way. Verses 19 through to 22. God says, you can't see me face to face because anyone who would see my face would die. But I will put you in a cleft of a rock. And I will allow my glory to pass by. And my hand will cover you and you will be able then to see the back of me, as it were. And that happens in the next chapter. And even though we're going to look at this chapter next week, I think it would be good just to look at a few verses. Let's read verses 5 through to 7 of chapter 34 where it says, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations. Now, as we've read that, I don't want you so, to be so fixated on what Moses saw, but rather on what Moses heard. Because what he hears is God manifesting truth as he speaks. And that's a reminder to me that if we want to encounter God, if you want to encounter God, you will chiefly do that by turning to the place where God has already revealed himself, which is the Bible. And as we turn to these pages today and we at any time you, you open your Bible, 
what our prayer is, is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God would lift these words and he would wing them to our hearts and so that they would settle on our hearts so that we are convinced that this is the word of God to us and God is speaking to us. And that's why there is power in sitting down and reflecting even quietly upon a verse from the scripture and you know that this is God speaking and you're wanting God to let that word speak into your heart or to ask God, is there a particular verse that he is wanting to bring into my mind? And as we hear how God reveals himself to Moses in this situation and just lifting these words out, what it reminds us of is that if you are in need of compassion today, God is the one who is compassionate. If you feel today that you do not measure up then what you need to remind yourself is that God is gracious because he does not deal with you as your sins deserve. If you feel that you are rebellious, you need to remind yourself that God has revealed himself here as one who is slow to anger. If you feel that you have been unfaithful, then you remind yourself what God has already said about himself here, that God is faithful in love and loyalty. To the guilty, God is forgiving. That word forgiving means he literally lifts the sin off your shoulder or that burden that is on you and he carries that and he deals with your sin in Jesus. But as that passage goes on a little bit, we can't just pick and choose what we want about God because there is that bit that reminds us that to the unrepentant, God is just because he has to deal with sin, which of course he has done in Jesus. So if I have another and final reality check. What was it that enabled Moses to flip in his mind so that enabled to deal with the disappointments where he might say, I won't carry on with these people. There's no point in carrying on. What is it that engaged his mind and reflecting upon this sense of experiencing God the question that we might ask ourselves and that I might metaphorically say that Moses posed to himself is have you seen enough of God already or do you want more? Because there's always a temptation that we will say, I've had enough, of, I've seen enough of God. What I've experienced to date will do me. And so you are relying on what you have known of God 10 years ago and that that's doing you today. Whereas what Moses is saying is show me your glory. I need more. I need to experience you more fully and I need to know that today and do that today. So the question to you is, are you the one who is content with where you are? Content with what you already know of God because you don't want to upset the status quo in your life and you don't want that to become too uncomfortable so you'll say, enough's enough, God. Don't push me. I've experienced enough and what I've already experienced will do me. Thank you very much. Or will you say, I want you more? God is always the prize. I'm going to invite the group up now. I'd asked them to do something at this point and given them a degree of freedom for once as to how they actually do that. So I will hand over to them.